everyone. Welcome to Brainsplain. I'm your host, Caitlin Merrick, and joining me today is Brian Ahirn. So, Brian, if you want to start by sharing a little bit about yourself, the work that you do, and how you got into it, that would be great. All right. Well, um, I have a company called Influence People, and I teach people about the psychology of persuasion, or sometimes known as the science of influence. And I learned under Dr. Robert Cialdini, who's the most cited living social psychologist on the planet when it comes to the science of ethical influence. And I'm one of 20 people across the world who are certified to teach his methodology. Yeah, that's really cool. One of the questions that I actually had was about that. Being one of those only 20 individuals in the world who actually have that designation, why did you particularly want to get that specialization? And how do you think that you use it today? Well, when I came in contact with his work, we ended up inviting him to the company that I used to work for. And he was incredibly well received. And it was during that time I went to Arizona with my boss, went through the two-day workshop. And right away, I I saw opportunity to take this influence, um, understanding and, and teaching and utilize it internally with our leaders throughout the company, because leaders are always having to influence those that they lead to get things done. But I also saw an opportunity to take it outside the company and use it as a sales training offering for the insurance agents that represented us. So for that reason, I told my boss, I want to go back to Arizona and get certified to teach this. And I had to stay on top of him for three years to finally give me the green light to go back and get certified. And that was in uh, early 2008. And the rest is history. I've been working deeply with that material ever since then. Yeah, that's really cool. I started as a psych major in school. So and then switched over to neuro. But being a psych major for a little bit, we definitely learn all about him and his work. So that's really interesting. So quick question that I have, when it comes to influencing and persuasion, um, we talk about this a lot in things like sales and stuff like that. But I think that sometimes there's a little bit of a stigma around it. Sometimes people consider it maybe a little bit ethically wrong. It could be called manipulation at times. And I just wanted your thoughts and opinions on that. Okay. Well, whether we talk about influence or persuasion, they are two separate words compared to manipulation. So manipulation, I would say, is taking psychology and and using it in a way that is not necessarily beneficial. So let let me start with what it means to ethically influence or persuade somebody. When we, and we spend a good bit of time talking about this, and, and this is really, really important to me. When we talk about ethical influence, there's three components that have to be present. Uh, first is truthfulness. We not only tell the truth, but we don't hide the truth. It's not enough, Caitlin, for me to be honest with you about something. If I'm holding something back that I know would impact your decision making, then I'm not being ethical. Okay, so truthfulness. The second thing is that we only use the psychology that's natural to the situation. So by that, I mean, just because I know that talking about lots of people maybe who are using my product, if I know that will impact your decision making, if I tell you lots of people are using it and they're not, I'm not ethically using that principle of influence known as social proof. Uh, Or if I try to create a false sense of scarcity, just because I know that those psychological concepts will move you to take more action. So I have to be honest, I have to use psychology that is genuinely available. Um, And then the third thing is I need to be putting out something that's not just good for me, but is also good for you. And I like to say it this way, 
good for you, good for me, then we're good to go. If what I, as a leader, as a salesperson, as a business coach, if what I'm putting out, trying to persuade you to do, I know is in your best interest, that you will benefit from it, even if I get something out of it. I mean, as a salesperson, I may get a commission, but that's okay because I'm also helping you. So if those three things are present, truthfulness, using the psychology in ways that are natural to the situation, and I am putting out something that is good for you as well as good for me, then I can feel confident that I am interacting with you in an ethical manner, that I'm not manipulating you. Now, let me say this too about the word persuasion. I always tell people, womb to tomb, the moment a child comes out of the womb, it has needs that is trying to get met. And it can't verbalize those, but it might be hungry, cold, needs to be burped, changed, and what will it do? It'll cry. And, and parents learn to discern what they need to do, but that baby is trying to persuade you. And through the rest of our lives until we die, we will be trying to get people to do things on our behalf to meet our needs. So this is a skill that everybody's using. And for anybody to say persuasion is manipulation, then they're indicting themselves as a manipulator. Yeah, definitely. I can totally agree with that. We talked about this a bit before, but it reminds me of that book, To Sell as Human. You know, it really touches on just the fact that we really are trying to sell something in our lives all day, every day. You know, we don't have to work in sales to be a salesperson. Absolutely. Uh, the definition that I use when it comes to persuasion comes from Aristotle. And he said that persuasion was the art of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. And so you think about this every day, whether it's with your family, strangers, people that you work with, customers you serve, you are always trying to get these people in some way, shape, or form to change their behavior. Maybe it's to say yes to a sale. Maybe it's to do their chores. Maybe it's to get a stranger to um, give you um, a little bit of money because you need bus fare or something. But we are always trying to change people's behavior. And that, at its root, is persuasion. Yeah, definitely. It's it's very interesting to think about. And like you said, tying that back to the ethical argument, I mean, if we call that manipulation, like you said, then we're calling ourselves manipulators in everyday situations. So Absolutely. very interesting. One question I do have when it comes to that kind of stuff and, you know, uh, seeing that we use it in everyday life, where do you think people typically go wrong when they're trying to influence or persuade? Well, two, two really stand out to me. Everybody intuitively knows that if somebody likes you, they'll be more willing to do what you want. I mean, when we talk about this, it's called the principle of liking. People are looking at you like, well, yeah, duh, we all know that. But the mistake that people really make is they try so hard to get people to like them. And, and the harder you try, the more desperate you come across. The real thing is that you should be trying to come to like other people. Because Caitlin, the more that I get to know you, the more that I get to like you, you have what I'll call a BS meter. I mean, you can tell if I really like you. You can see my, the look in my eye and the smile on my face, tone of voice, body language. All of these things are registering at your subconscious and you can tell who truly likes you and who doesn't. And those people that you look at and say, gosh, I know he really likes me. Well, implicit with that is you probably know that I have your best interest at heart. And the more I come to like you, the more I do have your best interest at heart. And so now we have a virtuous cycle where whatever I put out, it may not always be the right option for you, but you know it's coming from a good place because I have your best interest at heart and you receive it differently. So 
trying to get people to like you, it's, it's better than not doing anything. But the real gold is do what you can to come to like other people. So that's a big one. And the second one I'll say is with this principle that we call consistency, which says that we, we feel better about ourselves when our words. And so what we need to do is get people to commit to us. But the mistake that people make is they tell people what to do. So parents tell their kids what to do. The boss tells their employees what to do. And they're never gaining any kind of commitment. And that other person has a lot of ways of wiggling out from whatever you wanted them to do. I didn't hear you. I was busy. I was going to do it later. There's all these ways of wiggling out. But if I, instead of telling people what to do, I ask and I wait, and I, you know, maybe I say, Caitlin, would you be able to get me that sales report by Thursday afternoon? You're either going to say yes or no. And if you say yes, you now have this internal psychological pressure to be more likely to actually follow through and do that. So um, whether you're in sales, you're a leader, you're a business coach, my advice to, be, to people would be stop telling people what to do and start asking and you'll be pleasantly surprised at how much more often people do what you need them to do. And if somebody came to you, Caitlin, and, and if I recall, you play softball, correct? And, and if your coach told you what to do, you, you know, depending on how much you know, like, respect, trust, you, you may give it a try. But if that coach asked you a question about something, maybe it's in your stance, like, you know, Caitlin, have you ever tried putting your um, forward foot a little bit further forward because it might do this or that? So they, they're not telling you, but they're asking you and you say, well, I'll try that. You put your foot forward and it works. You own that more because you weren't told what to do, but you said that you would do it. And that's the, that's the gold with asking people because once they verbally say yes they tend to own that decision more and they will work harder to make sure that they do it definitely and i also think the consistency part that you mentioned is key as well because you know something that made me think about with the whole COVID situation going on we're hearing a lot more about like selling with empathy and humanizing everything and mm -hmm. it made me think a lot about it because i feel like just myself and the way that I think about things, I felt like that's the best way to do it. Like it shouldn't be, you know, well, now we have to sell with empathy and really touch humans because it, sh it should always be doing what's in somebody's best interest. I actually am reading another book too called Give and Take. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, but it, it's kind of all about that. It talks about just that difference between people who are willing to give and just want what's best for everyone and how that all comes back around to help them at the end of the day, rather than being takers and you know, there, there's pros and cons to both, but it, it really does touch on just the whole giving aspect and how that can all come around and be beneficial to yourself in the end. And that's very interesting. Giving taps into the psychology that we call reciprocity. People feel a natural obligation to want to give back to people who first give to them. And so I'm always encouraging people, you don't give to get, but if you don't give, you won't get. And, and what I mean by that is, I am not going to do something to help you, Caitlin, just to pull this big lever and get you to do what I want. Because if I do that once or twice, you start to realize and you reject any offers from me to help you. But if I am genuinely giving because I've tapped into liking and I really like you and I want the best for you, right? And you receive it that way and I help you when I need help, I can look then at all the people that I've been giving to, that I've been helping and I can find the people who have the right skill set to potentially help me. And most of the time, they want to help because they recognize what I've done has genuinely helped them. 
that's the way giving should work that we we don't give so we pull the lever we give because it's the best way to live life but we then feel comfortable going back to people that we've helped knowing that they even feel good about helping us and it's a win for everybody that is something that i have definitely noticed while starting this podcast because you know i've i've reached out to a few people asking if they wanted to be on the show i would love to talk to them learn from them and you know i have people like yourself who are like absolutely like let's set up a time and talk and then i have others who are like yeah um i'll see if i have time what's your audience size like and it's like i'm just starting it you know what i mean it's not something that's top of mind for me it's it's more for me to just learn from all these different people and you definitely just feel that difference right away somebody who's just willing to help and and teach me things and help me grow as a person versus others who are like okay what's in it for me type of thing i i don't know how much interaction you and i will have in the years to come but i'll always feel good about helping somebody who just started out in something and and i i believe in my heart too that you know you give and you just trust that you've helped people and even if you're not having a lot of interaction with them to know that that was one step further in in their pursuing their dreams and their passions and stuff that's a good feeling and so i think it's sad that somebody would have come back to you and said what's your audience size i'll see if i can work you into my schedule people should want to help enthusiastic young people like yourself who are doing some really cool things I really appreciate that. And while we're here, thank you very much for coming on today. (laughs) You're welcome. So one thing I also wanted to touch on was the book that you wrote. I wanted to just talk a little bit about your reason for writing that book, you know, maybe your target audience. So I've been, as I said, working with Robert Cialdini for a dozen years. I've actually known him a little bit longer going back to when we had him come into our company. And in all that time, as I have done things anywhere from 45-minute talks to two-day workshops. People are fascinated by this. The research is really cool and, and people are fascinated by it. But a lot of people still struggle about how do I put that into practice in my daily life? How do I put it into practice at home? How do I put it into practice where I work? And uh, Dr. Cialdini's book has sold uh, at least three and a half million copies. So obviously people are gravitating to it. But even when they read the book, sometimes they still struggle. Like, that's a cool story, but how do I put it into practice? My skill set is to be able to translate that information from psychology into practical application. That's where I see my strength. And so I wrote the book because I wanted people to be able to see very clearly, very tangibly, oh, I could do that. I could take that one thing. And in fact, all the chapters end with, here's how you can influence people. And it's got that one takeaway, the story built on it, it's got that one takeaway, so people can practically start putting it into application. So I'd say the target audience is, is really anybody who has either read Cialdini's material and, and still struggling, or people who might say, you know what, I don't want to read the deep scientific research, just tell me what to do. Again, that's a, a person who would be perfect for what I wrote. Yeah, that's really cool. I think there are a ton of people who you know, like you said, they maybe understand how it's all supposed to work, but it's difficult to put it into practice themselves. I think that happens with a lot of things. And, you know, to have something like that to kind of guide you and say like, all right, this is something practical that you can do right now that can help you. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what you have kind of currently been working on, what you've been doing throughout COVID. How has this affected things for you? Okay. Um, 
COVID's affected me like it's affected everybody. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities where I was going to be in front of live audiences that have been delayed. Some of them are hoping that at some point we'll be able to do it in front of live audiences. And that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people because it's almost like taking a lot of your income and pushing it back to another year. And those opportunities that would have been available a year from now, well, they're already filled with people who had theirs pushed back. So there's a huge effect. But I try to focus on the positive. And so something that I've learned as an example, I was going to do a, a one day workshop with a large organization. And then they said, we still want you to do it, but we want you to do it through Zoom. And we want to break it up into at least three sessions, spring, summer and fall. And my first thought, Caitlin, was oh, now that's going to take up three full days because I'm going to have to be somewhere where I can be in front of my computer. But then I started to think about it differently. And I realized if I, prior to seeing these people on Zoom, take a different approach, and what we did was we sent them a podcast that I had been on, and I connected with everybody on LinkedIn. So now we're connected. We have a little back and forth on the messaging. They hear me on a podcast. The day before the training, they get my book, which I signed. So they're like, wow, this is really nice. So now they're excited. We have a great two-hour session. And then over the beginning of the summer, they start reading the book. Before the next session, they hear another podcast. And then I spent four hours with them. And now they're going to get a series of emails for the next 12 weeks until we get to that final session. And so what I realized, Caitlin, was these people are thinking about me all summer long now. It's not one day where they had this great training event and then it fades away. They're having to think about me. And so that's the positive. And now I'm thinking to myself, how do I take that? methodology and start applying it with all of my clients because not only will it help me but it will help them more because their learning is spaced and it's more focused and they'll have more opportunity to put it into play so i would encourage anybody listening to this try to find out what is the upside of what's going on you can't change what's happening we can't wave a wand and make ourselves go back so what can i do right now that might allow me to leverage opportunities that are available today and, and the other thing I will say I'm working on, I'm almost done with my second book, which is very focused on selling. And it's going to be a very targeted audience, independent insurance agents. And how do you take this psychology that I teach and apply it throughout the sales cycle? Gotcha. That's really cool too. And kind of going back to what you said, I, I absolutely love to ask that question, kind of, you know, how has this been affecting you? Because it's really crazy to hear everybody's answers and how they're overcoming this and using what they have and honestly taking advantage of it in some ways. I mean, even for myself, my internship this summer got canceled and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then, you know, I, I just decided like, I have a lot of time at home right now. What can I do that I wouldn't have been able to do if I was in New York City? And I just I think it's really cool to hear everyone's perspectives. It takes away from all the negative stuff we're seeing in the media constantly. There's there's almost always a positive or an upside if you can find it. And there will be p things that people start doing now that we look back in a year, two or five years and go, that was brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? It's almost common sense. Why didn't I think of that? But when we're not forced into change, like I had been using Zoom somewhat, but not leveraging it like I am now because I didn't have to. But once I was forced into that, I had to think differently and figure out ways to, to stand out with it. So that's a positive. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's interesting because, you know, we typically are just very busy. We are constantly going and 
doing things and working on stuff. And I feel like this was also kind of a cool time where everybody was forced to just sit and relax for a second. And it really, you know, I I mean, for me personally, it made me just kind of like sit with things for a little bit and start thinking about things that would not have even crossed my mind if I was at school playing softball, taking classes. Like it really just forced a lot of people to sit with themselves and think about stuff. And like you said that, you know, that's where we have those like aha moments. Like why, why didn't I think of this before? Mm -hmm. Um, So something I'm curious about, if you had to pick one piece of advice, you know, whether it be from your book or personal experience or anything and give it to somebody who is just trying to like up their game, be better at influence persuasion, whether it be for work, personal life, whatever, what would that piece of advice be? I think it would be what we talked about earlier in in utilizing the principle of liking, but going into situations with a a mindset that is, how can I come to like the people that I'm interacting with? Because the more you like your coworkers, the more you'll enjoy your job. The more you like the people that you serve, maybe if you're in sales, your customers, the more you'll enjoy your job. Or if you are in procurement and you deal with vendors, that time investing in other people to get to know them with a mindset that says, how can I come to like them? If nothing else, selfishly, then you'll be able to enjoy your job more. But I think the vast majority of people will respond to it. And the reason that I would start there is because first and foremost, it takes manipulation off the table. I, I, I trust that you and your listeners and, and I would never manipulate those people that we know and like. So it, it removes that. It is the foundation, I think, for going forward. I'm not saying that people are going to hire you just because they like you, but a lot of people will not hire you if they don't like you, right? So it's it's like the ticket to at least get in. And the more that you cultivate this skill, the more people will want to work with you, want to deal with you, and it becomes a multiplier, I think, in whatever field you choose to go into. Something that just kind of crossed my mind that I'm curious about Do you think that, you know, genuineness and, you know, kind of just doing things for other people's best interest, that principle of liking, do you think that stuff can be taught to anybody or do you think it's more intrinsic? Um, No, I think it can be taught to anybody because when it comes to giving reciprocity, every human culture, according to social psychologists, every human culture raises its people in the way of reciprocity. Now, some of them go about it a little bit differently. For example, in some Asian countries, if I were to do something for somebody, they would not only do something in return, but they'd do something a little bit more, which might make me feel obligated, like, oh, that was kind of nice. Maybe I should do something else. And you can kind of see how you could get in this cycle of almost one-upsmanship. Not every culture goes that deep with reciprocity, but every culture teaches its people about reciprocity. For example, here in the United States, um, I always ask people, what are some of the first words that you learned as a kid? Most people say, thank you, right? Because when somebody did something, mom or dad leaned down and said, what do you say? And then as a little kid, we learned, thank you. And then we grow up and we learn more sophisticated ways to to give back or repay that favor. Um, So it can be taught. I think the people, when we look at it and say they are intrinsically good at something, we're very fortunate in maybe having teachers, mentors, parents, or somebody who at early ages instilled certain skill sets that just seem to become second nature or their personality. But you're never too old to learn it. Definitely. 
So I just want to say thank you so much again for joining me today. And for those who are listening who might want to look deeper into your work, maybe connect with you further or find your book, where is the best place for them to find you? Okay. Well, anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, feel free to do so. If you don't put a personal message about having heard me on the podcast, you can guarantee that I will send a message back and say, how did you find me? I do that every time. It's always interesting to understand why people are reaching out to connect. And it's also a, an opportunity to make social media social where, you know, we can have a little bit of a, an exchange. So reach out on LinkedIn. And the other place I would encourage people to go would be my website, which is influencepeople.biz. And if they go there, they'll see all the podcasts I've been on, videos, um, more than a dozen years of, of blogging, um, links to my book. There are all kinds of resources available there on the website. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 